This is episode 5 of Doc Fermento Discovers the World. I was fortunate enough to get Dr. Jack Cruz on the show. Um, most people haven't heard of him, but um, everyone, <laughs> many of you will um, real soon. 2012 is going to be a big year for him. He's, he's just amazing. I don't know if I mentioned he's a neurosurgeon. Um, he falls into this paleo, primal, low-carb realm for diet, um, but it's not his thing. You'd have to, um, you're going to need to listen, learn a bit, a little bit more about what he's doing. Um, he's a change maker, and he can teach you how to affect change in your life. Um, he comes. He's got a different approach. He's he's strong. He's opinionated. Um, he has a fantastic website, jackcruise.com, J-A-C-K-K-R-U-S-E, jackcruise.com. Go there and read Finding Your Primal Sense. And it, it's a powerful piece about evolving to make a change. Uh, many people need to make some changes, you know, no one more so than me. And the piece was actually hard for me to read because uh, it, it, it puts it right in front of you. And, well, it makes it real. And I was just floored by it. And I had to get him on the show. I can't believe I got him because after this, he'll probably, you know, he's going to be too big for me. Um, I feel bad that we didn't even cover this Finding Your Primal Sense um, piece that he wrote because it's so damn important. But I was just letting him go because, you know, he's got the knowledge. I forgot to draw it back and bring it back to this this piece that he wrote. But that's all right. I ended up talking to him 20 minutes after the show about this, which was a huge mistake um, because I didn't record it. It was just a personal conversation that I wish you could have all heard. But that's all right. Um, maybe if I'm lucky enough, I can get him back on in the future to talk more about change. Um so with that, we're going to go right into my interview with Dr. Jack Cruz. another episode of Doc Fermento Discovers the World. Today we have Dr. Jack Cruz. He's a neurosurgeon and well, let me just give you some of his own words and uh, I'll give you some something from his about page and then let him tell you the rest of the story. As uh, Dr. Jack Cruz writes, my goal is to start the dialogue of how to evolve healthcare using patients as foot soldiers. I am hell-bent on changing the process of how medicine is practiced and healthcare delivered in this country. Dr. Jack Cruz, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you, Brian? I'm great. I'm excited awesome. to have you here. and uh, Pleasure to be here, believe me. Thank you. Can we go back to um, a little bit more of your about quickly, and then we'll move into your, your current amazing work? Sure. 
give us a little background. Okay, well, uh, I guess it, it, the real story started back uh, in my training. I used to be uh, actually an oral surgeon and a dentist, and then I graduated up a few centimeters and went into neurosurgery. And in the process of all my training, you know, I learned a lot of different things about the brain and, and how the brain does different things. Uh, when I came out of residency, um, I actually gained quite a bit of weight because I used to be very physically fit because I was a big baseball player and football player when I was younger. And um, around 2003, I started noticing my weight creep up, and um, it got worse all the way up until I'd say probably about 2006, 2007. And I was at a spine meeting in Birmingham, Alabama, and stood up and uh, when I was getting ready to give a talk, and I had horrible pain in my knee. And uh, long story short, turns out I tore my knee meniscus just by standing up. And I said, I thought I knew right away. I said, this isn't normal. You know, people should tear their knee meniscus, you know, when they're skiing or, you know, bungee cord jumping or something else, but not standing up and going to a podium. So one of the uh, physicians who was there had a wife who was an Amgen researcher, and um, we talked, and we talked probably for three or four days after that because of what happened and she basically told me she goes look i know what's wrong with you um you're not going to find out from any other doctors i'm going to send you some stuff you know when i get back to san diego and i was kind of intrigued by what she had to tell me um she sent me a package with a bunch of research in it on leptin and she also sent me uh a couple of other uh pamphlets about you know nutrition and uh, she sent me a book by Robin Sharma called uh, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, which really intrigued me. And I have to be honest here, I read that first uh, before I actually read the research papers. Uh-huh. And she actually told me exactly you know, how I should read it, but I didn't follow her rules exactly because I was very intrigued by the title of the book. And I read it, and I cut through the research. And I, I think I must have read maybe six papers she sent me, and all of a sudden – a light bulb went off in my head. And the funny thing is she predicted that too. She says, you're not going to have to read very much of these things because I know what it took for you, you know, in your training, you know, her, her husband had trained with me and, um, she kind of knew what my education level was. And she says, you're going to pick this up right away and you'll see what I mean. And she was right. And I started to realize right off the bat that my, my obesity was at the seat of the problem. And um, without her being, you know, I guess this was her tactful way of telling me I was a fat ass. Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was kind of funny, but I had this epiphany reading the stuff, and it got so crazy that I wound up going to the local medical school library here in town and just started pulling articles on top of articles on top of articles. And it went through, you know, nutrition uh, journals and, and starting to figure out what kind of diet, you know, that I would eat. And then I sat down probably for a good six months and synthesized all my thoughts, wrote a lot of things down. And that's when I started working on, you know, my quilt document about how everything ties together. And then I started really in depth thinking about the real cause of obesity uh, and how it interplayed with the brain. And that's when I, I, when, when I started doing that, that's really when a lot of pieces started falling together. And I pulled on, my oral surgery training, my dental school training, my medical school training, and, you know, my seven years of neurosurgery training. And I came up uh, with the idea that I could actually bypass, you know, the leptin receptor in our brain 
and I could uh, fix obesity in myself. And of course, I wasn't going to tell anybody this because they would have thought I was a raving lunatic. Um, but I said, this is exactly how I'm going to do it because I think the science makes a lot of sense. So were, were you saying you started with this uh, with the, this leptin theory of yours? That, that yeah, was your, that's where I you mean, started from? I knew from? leptin was at the seed of the obesity. Uh, the, my, my, my hypothesis back then was that obesity was an inflammatory brain condition. And it, the, the key cause was, you know, the diet, you know, the standard American diet that I was eating because I was a classic person who was eating the standard American diet. And um, I realized through my reading uh, where I came through on the nutrition side after doing all my, my due diligence, I was going to eat either a, a Mediterranean diet or um, what I would call a modified Paleolithic diet uh, based on my own reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't come to, you know, primal or paleo, um, the way of living until after, you know, I came up with my whole leptin reset and, and all that. It was it was yeah. much later in the game. Okay. And uh, once I came up with the leptin reset, I, I stood up in front of my family. I believe it was Thanksgiving, I think 2007. And I told them, you know, at that time, I was 357 pounds. I stood up in front of my whole family with the food on the table, and I said, look, this is the Last Supper. Uh, I just want to let you know that in two years that I'm going to be, you know, physically fit, and I'm going to look so good that um, I'll be able to, you know, put on a Speedo in front of all of you. (laughs) Of course, all laughed. It was pretty hysterical for them, but my wife noticed that I wasn't laughing, Mm -hmm. and she pulled me aside afterwards she goes you're really serious about this and I said yeah I am I said you know I've been doing a lot of reading and and she she asked me through this whole process what I was doing because obviously my behavior had changed I was going and doing a lot of reading and um and spending a lot of time at the office and she saw you know papers on top of papers I probably had between six and nine thousand papers strewn across my study and, you know, I would get mad at anybody who came in there and disturbed my piles. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just one of those mad scientist kind of things for about 12, 12 to 18 months. And I felt at that time I had enough data that I was going to test my hypothesis using me as the number one example. So I did that. And when I did that, in the first three months, I lost 77 pounds. Um, and needless to say, not only was I shocked, but my wife was probably more shocked and she thought it was a fluke. And I continued on in the first 11 months, I dropped 135 pounds. The uh, weight loss was so dramatic that, you know, patients in my practice, you know, were asking me, Hey doc, did you have gastric bypass? You know, you sick, do you have cancer? You know, what's going on? And I told everybody, well, if either one of those things are true, tell me when I took any time off to do it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I was working through this whole time. But I think it, it had a huge impact on the people that were around me, and it really had a huge impact on my immediate family because they kind of knew what I was doing. And I, I, I slowly began to explain it to my family. And, you know, most of my immediate family members are not doctors. They're not scientists. So it was kind of hard to explain this to them. And... Um, when I told my wife that basically I did brain surgery on myself without using a scalpel, she knew right then and there that I was onto something. Mm-hmm. She started, you know, talking to some of her friends and 
people started talking in the hospital and I began writing a book about you know the whole experience of that year like what it was like and how I came up with it and this and that and I was talking to one of my gastroenterology buddies at the hospital his name's Don Lazarus he's a great guy and he said Jack he says you know you, you can't afford you know to wait to put this information in a book and it's going to take three four five years for it to come out he goes why don't you just start putting this information on the internet now because he was fairly motivated by seeing all these people that were coming to see me for spine surgery and before I do spine surgery on him I told him I said look if you're interested in doing this I think I can make you a better candidate for surgery because I can change your body composition get rid of your fat and increase your lean muscle mass and I can do it pretty quick mm-hmm. and you know many people first when I said they're like you're out of your mind and I said no you remember how I used to look I said I did this on me and I had about, I'd say in that first year, probably about, I'd say close to about 10 people who said, yeah, before you do me uh, in surgery, I'd like to try this. And I had some humongous home runs. Um, one in particular was a 84-year-old lady who wound up having a very big lumbar surgery in her back, you know, and she had screws and rods and everything else placed. She now is all finished, but she's 80. When I started with, I guess she was 79. She's now 84, and she's got a six-pack on her stomach. (laughs) And she told me recently, she goes, you know, if I had done this 20 years ago, she goes, I would have been so happy. She goes, the last two or three years of my life have been the best years of my life. She goes, I never thought this was possible. You know, I told her, quite frankly, I said, look, if I had known about this 20 years ago, I would have never got to 350 pounds. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and um, it kind of went from there. When I, when I started having small little home runs, um, some of the referring docs, and, and it's particularly one of my pulmonology buddies uh, who takes care, he owns a, a sleep center. He started sending me a lot of his sleep apnea patients because most people who have sleep apnea also are obese, and it's actually tied to the whole leptin story. And he sent me this one young guy in particular who he was 33 years old, He had really severe obstructive sleep apnea. And in a matter of six months, he dropped 80 pounds. Hmm. And I sent him back to Dr. Ramos. And um, Dr. Ramos, needless to say, was absolutely floored at how the guy looked. Mm -hmm. But he was even more impressed that his sleep apnea was dramatically improved, Mm -hmm. you know, in a very short period of time. And, you know, most pulmonologists who, who are listening to this or most patients with sleep apnea who are listening to this, will know that there's very few treatments in sleep apnea that can just about reverse it in six months, no matter what you do. And that includes even gastric bypass surgery or, you know, uh, surgery on the mouth to uh, open up the airways. Mm -hmm. Um, So it had a dramatic effect on my practice. And uh, it just kind of went from there. And when I, I decided, you know, in 2011, actually, to put this information on the Internet, um, it's kind of ca- caught fire and taken off. You did that just this year? Yeah. I mean, I've only been doing this about six months. Wow. Because and, um, and, I just want to interrupt and say that the blog, and well, you have, you have a website and a blog link, and um, your blog is a little bit more of a, a personal story. It's more in, inspirational in nature, especially recently. But the information is incredible. I mean... Uh, I, you don't, I don't see this out, an information available anywhere else. And uh, So can we jump into the leptin prescription a little bit? Sure, absolutely. Um, the leptin prescription basically, 
uh, is a blog post that I wrote. It's fairly simple. I believe I uh, put it on the net sometime in, in uh, June, and basically it's got, you know, I think five or six steps to it. It's pretty simple to do, but I never explained to anybody when I put it out there exactly how it works. Mm-hmm. The whole goal of it, uh, you know, and if your listeners are interested in looking at the blog post, um, to find out about each step, it's all di- it's all outlaid on there. Now, since we're a little bit further down the pike, I've described exactly how it works. But okay. the simplest way to describe it here is I am trying to confuse your brainstem uh, in terms of how it accounts for calories from food. Uh, and, uh, 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 an explanation of that the leptin receptor basically was evolutionary designed to to count the amount of electrons that come from food. That's exactly what it's designed to do. Uh, and what happens over time when you get obesity, as I told you, it's an inflammatory brain condition, the inflammation at the brain level causes that leptin receptor not to work. It kind of short circuits it. And what happens then, we start to get heavier and our body composition changes. And eventually, if it's allowed to go on long enough, you can become a type 2 diabetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you generally do the leptin prescription for about six to eight weeks until you find some key physical findings or symptoms. And I laid all that out uh, in a blog that came out right after that. It's called the Leptin Prescription FAQs. Mm-hmm. Because many people had a lot of questions about that. And the interesting thing that happened at, right around this time um, is several of the people on my blog who made comments and. You know, I'm pretty good about answering everybody's comment on my blog, which I think kind of separates my blog from most other, other uh, you know, paleo or primal MDs out there. But um, when I did that, people on Mark's Daily Apple, which is Mark's system site, mm-hmm. started a, uh, a uh, I guess you call it a thread on his nutrition uh, form, and it said, I'm going to do a leptin reset experiment. And it was started by a lady named Kimma on 6-15-2011. Okay. Just so you know, I, I haven't checked it today, but that, that thread now has got almost 575,000 hits. <laughs> People took yeah. my leptin prescription and took Mark Sisson's huh. book yeah. uh, or Rob Wolf's book. Right. Because that's kind of the diet I eat. And they married the two concepts together, and basically their results are, are on that web for everybody to see. Mm-hmm. So they don't, people no longer have to believe what happened to me or in my practice. These are people that I never met, never, never physically touched, um, did what I prescribed, and they put their results on the web for everybody to see. Yeah. And it's caught everybody's, I think, attention. Uh, and it's kind of cool because, you know, based on from me talking to Mark, uh, we know that it's in 153 countries worldwide. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we're getting 50,000 unique hits per month. You know, and this is people we're like, looking. Remember, we're talking yeah, about five yeah. months. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty remarkable. But the coolest thing about it from my standpoint as a physician, I mean, I'm in this game, you know, to help people. And... Um, I always thought that I would probably help people as a neurosurgeon more by operating on them. And I have mm-hmm. to tell you, this has actually been more professionally satisfying to me than actually doing surgery because I feel like I've, my reach is much greater and mm-hmm. I've actually helped a lot of people. And 
and you can look at the blog comments, some of the comments, and I have to be very, very honest with you, especially in the leptin prescription and the leptin FAQs. If you read the comments, there's more gold in the comments than I think in the blog. Okay. That's a good because bit you of... Have, you know, you have patients' yeah. <clears throat> testimonials there, and, they, and they're telling me very personal things, and I'm giving them mm -hmm. advice about maybe how to do this, and then you'll, you'll see over time the same people come back and say, God, I can't believe how this has happened. You know, I don't have any carbohydrate cravings anymore. I, I don't feel like I need to eat lunch. And, you know, the weight's starting to come off, and, you know, all of a sudden all my other health parameters are starting to change, and it's life-changing to people. Yeah, so you were saying when you're going to you're going to go through this leptin reset program, you're going to play a trick on the um, where did you say the base of the on the brainstem on the brainstem. So yeah, when you say fact, trick, I don't want people people are going to think, oh, it's just smoke and mirrors. This is a temporary stopgap measure. No, is this something that lasts? Oh yeah, well, I mean, I if told you, you stay I've been on this now for five years, okay, uh, it's been going on a long time, and and I have not gained any of my weight back at all mm -hmm. most of the people that have done it have found the same thing um, the only thing I, I would i would say uh that's a little bit different that we kind of haven't covered the leptin reset is only meant to be like the transition from going either from obese or having other medical problems um where leptin is a factor to resetting it that generally most people, I'd say 68% of people, it only takes six to eight weeks. Some okay. people, the more inflammation someone has, uh, the longer it takes, or the more hormonal disruption people have, the longer it takes. But it will work. Okay. You just have to have patience until you start to find the clinical, you know, findings, mm -hmm. you know, that I lay out in the, uh, the leptin prescription FAQs. I mean, there's 30 different things to look for. And when you start to have five or six of them, that's when I tell people, okay, stop. And now what you do is you transition into what I call the postscript of what to do after leptin's reset. And that, that was just laid out because everybody asked me, well, how do I eat now? Right, right. And um, I just did that probably about a month ago. Okay. And I put that out there. And all of, uh, all of the leptin theories are basically tied to, uh, circadian rhythms and what is paramount in this in terms of how you should eat and live the rest of your life is you should be mindful of the light cycles and also mindful of meal timing and the reason for that is because before humans had a leptin receptor that was functional it generally doesn't become functional in, in humans until about 12 to 24 months of age um, so before that, like when we were a single cell inside our mother, we got to be pretty big until 12 months old. So how did we do that without a receptor? And, you know, I learned about this back in medical school, but it never, I never put two and two together until about 2007. And I said, there's got to be another system in the brain and in the human body that we default to before we use the leptin receptor. And what that default was, was the neuroendocrine response, which means the hormonal response in both either the mother or the fetus. And when I realized that, I said, you know what? If I confuse the brainstem, mm -hmm. I can make it, for, I can force it to start paying attention back to hormones. And that's precisely what I do. And I, I, I <laughs> tell people all the time that I follow what we call a quantified self platform. That means I draw on myself, or I did during the reset, and I, I actually still do this today. I draw blood on myself every three months, mm -hmm. the same sets of, of blood 
to make sure that my hormones are optimal through this whole process. And what I found when I first started is that my hormones are extremely disordered, probably for the first year, and that as I ate, you know, given the way our biologic uh, and circadian rhythms are wired, everything came back to what I call a homeostatic, you know, set point. Mm -hmm. And things got better and better and better. And what happened as time went on, my body composition even changed more and more and more, where I started losing fat and gaining lean muscle mass. And uh, that occurred even before I did any exercises. Here's yeah. the most probably amazing thing that people don't believe, but the first calendar year, I didn't do any exercise. And the reason I didn't do the exercise, if you remember when I told you the story in the beginning, I tore my knee meniscus. Well, I needed surgery on that, but I refused mm -hmm. to have surgery until I fixed the underlying obesity problem. Ah, okay. So you and the reason lose... I did that is because, remember, I am a yeah. surgeon and I knew that I wasn't a good candidate for any kind of surgery <laughs> being oh, obese. Yeah. Right. So I, 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 I put on myself exactly what, you know, criteria I would have put on a patient. Okay. And I cruised around for almost a year with a torn meniscus. And when I lost the weight, then I had the surgery done. And this will show you just how successful it was. I had surgery and I operated the next day. Never took any pain medicines. Never, in fact, never went back to the orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> took my own sutures out. And since that day, I have never seen a doctor since. Wow. That's how healthy I've been. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just goes to show you when you take control of the problem, you can do pretty amazing things. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let me touch on hormones for just a second. Because a lot of things everyone's familiar with now, macronutrients, micronutrients, vitamins, and things. Hormones, I think it might give, you know, people, I don't think people are got their head around this yet. Um, say, well, for instance, if you went to get a blood test, is there a, is there a blood test you'd request that check hormones, or is that automatic, or is that just an automatic thing that they check in a blood test? Well, no. You, generally, A, you have to find a doctor who knows how to do this stuff, and I hate to say this, but most conventional physicians don't really get involved in this. Uh, the ones that do are usually either urologists or OBGYNs. Sometimes primary care docs will do it, but most of them are afraid of it because of a lot of the studies that came out in the early or late 90s and early 2000s that were horribly flawed. But um, the, probably the docs that, that are best at this are what we call naturopathic physicians mm -hmm. or anti-aging docs. Okay. And they do all of this stuff. And they use both blood and salivary testing because there's certain hormones that are better tested one way than the other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The key point uh, with that is, is there, there is a battery of tests that I do on myself all the time, as I mentioned to you, every three and I did write a blog post about that uh, as well. I, I actually put down uh, what the optimizing labs were for me. Okay. And I don't think everybody has to do that because I can afford to do this, and it's not cheap. But you have to realize something. I, I'm actually kind of still doing an experiment on myself. I'm now you know, five or six years into this, and I do these labs all the time. So I'm trending everything. I want to know exactly what's going on in my body as time goes on. Most other people who do this, who just have, say, like 40, 50, 100 pounds to lose, you can do it without being so crazy about getting the labs done. But okay, here's good. the key mm -hmm. point. When you have plateaus, when you have 
like say you go for a period of time for six to eight months and nothing's working. Yeah. Do not change what you're doing. Get your labs done because more likely than not, there's an underlying hormonal issue that's causing the plateau. Okay. Because the key factor is leptin is the master hormone in the body. It controls all the other hormones. So while you're going through the reset and, and you're trying to recover your leptin receptor, you're going to have tremendous changes in all the other hormones. You're going to see wild swings. Like one of the things I learned about my own physiology, which I, I know now, I didn't know this then, is particular to me. I am exquisitely sensitive to the light cycle. In fact, as we talk today, you know, we're, we're coming into the steepest part of the year in the northern hemisphere for the loss of light. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the time of the year that I can barely eat any carbohydrates because if I do, it affects my cortisol level tremendously. Now, six, seven years ago, I had no clue about that. (laughs) And the reason why I have a clue about it now is because of the serial testing that I did. Now, I have some patients that test like I do, but I have to say the majority of them don't because they can't afford it. But the ones that do have also got a much deeper level of introspection of truly how their physiology works. And I'll even take it another level. Uh, The people who do this testing, actually, you get so much information about yourself that you can tell exactly what foods affect your epigenetic switches on your genes. And it makes you a much more effective creator of your diet. Now, you know, many people out there advocate a diet you know, to a population, and, you know, for, I'd say for probably 68% of people, that works. And I think the paleo diet's a good, it's, it's a good uh, uh, model for that. Mm-hmm. But you have to realize, if you read the comments on my blog, or you, you go to Rob Wolf's site, or Mark Sisson's site, or, uh, or you know, Paul Jaminette's site mm-hmm. as well, you will see multitudes of people who are eating a good diet, but still not getting the results they want. Yeah. And those are the people I'm interested in. I'm not really interested in the other 68%, you know, who can buy one of those books yeah. and, and do a standard paleo template and do well. Uh, this, I wasn't one of those people. I like you this. Know, and the, most yeah. of the people that come in my office aren't one of those people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure, you know, a guy like, uh, you know, Matt Lalonde is not going to show up in Jack Cruz's office and say, look, I need to be hacked because I'm in bad shape. Right, you know? right. He's, yep. got, he's got great results from, from, you know, following, you know, Rob's paleo solution. Uh, and that's all well and good. My interest is for those who aren't and giving them insights to why they're not, telling them some of the things that I've learned, you know, from myself, from my N-1, and also from the patients who've done this as well you know, that, that I've actually, you know, treated through this. And I just decided in the beginning that, you know, anybody who posted a question about this, I would answer it. And I think part yeah. of the reason why it's gained a lot of traction is when people started to do this on their own, they started to see tremendous results. You know, they, people who, you know, could not give up any carbohydrates literally within four or five weeks said, I don't want to eat them anymore. And I've never had this happen to me. You know, and anybody who's been obese, any time in their life knows, and I'm a perfect example of this, you've tried every diet in the book. Mm-hmm. Nothing works. You yo-yo diet, you gain the weight back, and usually you gain 10 or 20% more. Again, that's because of leptin. This process effectively ends your dieting, period. Dieting, to me, is a bad word, okay? Yeah. And I never use it. 
um, because I don't think it's appropriate. I think once you do this long enough and you keep your inflammation levels in your body down low enough, your leptin receptor can recover. And that's in the process what I'm doing now. I think my leptin receptor is completely recovered because I can pretty much eat whatever I want now, even irrespective of the light cycles, and I can mm-hmm. get away with it. Hmm, but do I do that? Yeah. No, I don't. Right. <laughs> I have mo- you know most of the data on myself going back the longest, and I-, I guess now I've become my own little experiment, you know, for me. And it actually helps me generate hypotheses and also test them in different people because I've noticed there is you know a wide variation in people in their hormonal response, and there are certain people that actually need more time, and it generally it generally does you know, tie directly to the amount of inflammation they have in their body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, one thing um, that I like is that you're giving some serious respect to anecdotal evidence, people's personal stories. I have the problem, uh, my big thing is food fermentation. I use it to help people heal their own guts, right? Right. And um, if I ever enter a blog, uh, go on a comment section, um, there was a piece written, a scientific paper about uh, the fact that there's no clinical proof that ingesting a probiotic alters your gut flora at all. Right. So there's no clinical proof of this. So when I enter the conversation, I'm an anecdote. And so are the dozens of people that I've personally helped. We're all an army of anecdotes. So I kind of get tired of all that. I'm not in the medical community, so it's easy for me to ignore the word anecdote or clinical or whatever, but I'm really glad to see someone at your level giving some thought and respect to individual stories. Well, you have to also realize something, and this, this is where it does pay, it would, it would do you well to realize the history of medicine was built on empiric evidence and anecdotes. That's actually how we learned how to treat certain diseases and how we learn not to. For example, you remember back in Egyptian and Roman times, you know, we used to put holes in people's head and, dra- <laughs> and drain them of blood. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know the whole story about the barber of Seville and, and why the barber shop uh, was associated with bloodletting. But we know that doesn't work anymore, but we learn that through N minus ones. Today yeah. in medicine, you know, the, the, the golden goose is called this, you know, the standard of I should say the randomized control clinical trial with mm-hmm. control groups, but there's even a problem with that that I think, especially the paleo community, has done a good job with. If 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 people want to base everything on evidence-based medicine, there's a giant assumption that what the initial assumption is is correct. For example, now I want to explain this because it's very important. Many physicians believe that cholesterol or saturated fat causes heart disease. The original assumption was made by Ansel Keys, which we now know is false. But that single mistake has, <laughs> has you know, gone through just about every single study. The interesting thing is when you go back and look at the studies critically, statins really have no effect at all on heart disease. But yet every single cardiologist in this probably country outside of maybe uh, Bill Davis, who just wrote his book, right. will believe that you know, dietary saturated fat or fats in general cause heart disease. And here's where, that's where evidence-based medicine fails. Now, my problem as a physician, I haven't read every single specialty um, in terms of what the evidence says. I know what it is in my specialty, 
And I have to tell you, I now question everything that I thought to be true to see whether it really is true. And what I found even in neurosurgery, many of the things that I believed just five or six years ago to be true really aren't true. (laughs) So the reason I, I pay a lot of attention to anecdotal evidence is because it's opened my eyes to the pitfalls of evidence-based medicine. Now, that's, uh, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying all evidence-based medicine is bad. Some right. of it is quite good. Um, but you have to go back and look at the original assumptions before we make you know, global judgments for population-based data. And that's, that's a critical point. And unfortunately, I don't see that being done in medicine for probably 50 to 100 years because the process is really controlled by, you know, big, huge corporations uh, who have special interests, and it's, it's all mixed together. It's a real problem. I mean, the statin issue is, should be classic. Most people know that the pharmaceutical industry run most of these randomized controlled trials because they're incredibly expensive to do. You know, so you, it's really hard to test some of the core dogma and belief unless you have ungodly amounts of money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people aren't going to do that. That's why I'm, I'm pretty excited about the paleo and primal communities because I feel like they're doing one of the biggest N-1s out there right now. Yeah, you know? and, and thanks to the social networking, social media, the Internet, this is all being documented live. Right. Every, and I, I mean, think, everyone's I, I a blogger, right? I think right? that's huge. Yeah. I think it's absolutely huge. And as I told you before we came on the show... You know, I can't tell you I'm the most Internet-savvy guy. I mean, I can do pretty well, but I've been absolutely floored. Prior to six months ago, I didn't know Twitter was. Okay? Yeah. Uh, I also was not using Facebook like I'm using it now. I was not using LinkedIn. Now I'm doing all these things, and I, the cool thing about it for me as a physician you know, I'm in this to help people. Well, in my sphere of influence, you know, here in Nashville, I can do that to, you know, my own community. I found that Twitter and Facebook and all the other things where my blog reaches, I can now hit 153 countries worldwide, and I'm interacting with people in the Southern Hemisphere. That, to me, is absolutely incredible. And like you said, performing brain surgery without a scalpel, right? That's that's absolutely true. You know, and and my other big thing uh, that I've told many people is that I believe that uh, the leptin prescription – uh, is a thought that can change your DNA. And if, if you read it and you ponder it and you think about it and then you try it, just like, you know, most of the, the people in the paleo and primal community say, try it for 60 days and see if I'm full of it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what this community's done, and they've done it, and they come back, and they, they're posting their results. I'm not going to tell you the results. Go read them. Yeah, it's out there. Read it's, them for yourself yeah, because they're there. Yeah, it's super and easy to find. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's my um, my thing, my, a fermentation, and I call myself a paleo slash LCHF experimenter. So are you familiar with the LCHF diet? It's, uh, a, it's Swedish. It's low-carb, high-fat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so Low-carb, high-fat. So because sometimes you'll come across paleo people, paleo um, to teachers or tinkerers, that have a a very different view of what that diet means versus a low-carb, high-fat diet. If you ever read Lauren Cordain's original book, The Paleo Diet, I mean, it is lean. 
It's chicken breast and shrimp. And I hated it. I read it and I'm like, I'm not eating that way. That doesn't fit for me. I was following Rob Wolf's book, but then I got into LCHF. And, um, well, you know, I just did it to, to make it easier for myself. I was went ahead and favored the fat. But that's my N equals one. You know, that's just my... Well, I think, I think though, the basis of, of everything that we're talking about within, you know, the, the paleo-primal, um, low-carb, high-fat diet, most people, I think, are basically doing the same thing. I think there's little tweaks and, and twists, sure. you know, to it. The one thing that uh, I think that people probably make the big mistake is that they don't tinker enough with their diet. Mm-hmm. And I think the bigger mistake is if you're one of those people who hits plateaus and is not getting the results that you see from other people, those are the people that absolutely need to consider testing because okay. usually there's something underlying. You know, they could have a leaky gut. Yeah. They could have, you know, a, a disordered hormone response. You know, you, mm-hmm. I, I found, I, I, if I told you some of the stories, I mean, I had a 26-year-old kid that came in who could, just couldn't lose weight, and we found out that his testosterone level was like 226 at 26 years old. And, you know, he couldn't believe it. His primary care doctor couldn't believe it. We fixed that, actually fixed his neck too, and magically he lost 60 pounds in the next six months. By bumping and up I the testosterone. Him, I, said, I think the reason this happened is because all the Taco Bell and Chick-fil-A you're eating. Yeah. You know, and you had a lot of, you know, polyunsaturated fats in your diet mixed with, you know, bad processed carbs, mm-hmm. and that caused the underlying inflammation. The cool thing about a young kid, though, is they can bounce back fast because their brains, their hypothalamus, works way better than, say, a postmenopausal woman who's at 60 years old. I was going to say, it's it's so funny you just mentioned that. I have someone in my life who's a 60-year-old woman, and uh, she has hit the paleo hardcore. She's a piece of, she should be studied. She's awesome, but she has plateaued. Right. 60-year-old female. So uh, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, so well, I would tell you, in a case like that, I can tell you right now, her hormones absolutely need to be assayed, and mm-hmm. I guarantee you're going to find some abnormalities. And then when those abnormalities are found, the, the rule of thumb that I use is I want people's infl- inflammatory levels, their highly sensitive CRP, to be almost at undetectable levels. And I also want their, all their hormones within in the top quartile of what they should be in the reference range. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think most docs that do this kind of stuff also shoot for the same ranges. Okay. But obviously, that's kind of a stereotypical global statement I just made. When you see a patient in the office, you're you're obviously going to biohack them and get them back, you know, to normal. Because every everybody takes some individual tinkering. This is not sure. the kind of uh, this is not the kind of thing that you know you can just go out and say, look, here's the paleo template, live it, and that's it. You know, and everybody's the same way. That it's just not reality. Um, uh, and those kind of cases I love because that's what I love to do. You know, I like to hack people, huh, Yeah. you know, and get them back because the smile on their face when they're done mm-hmm. is worth a million bucks. It's yeah, just, yeah. You know, they, they didn't believe it. I can't tell you how many skeptics that I have completely kicked in the crotch, you know, <laughs> with this. And it's just yeah. the coolest thing in the world. I used to think, you know, taking a disc out in someone's back and when they wake up, they were completely free of pain was the biggest charge but there's nothing like seeing somebody who is a non-believer you know a year later and just go look at where i was and look at where i am now yeah and i, and I tell them i said did, did i touch you did i do brain surgery on you do you have a scar <laughs> on your head right no 
you know, and it, yeah. it's just cool. When they yeah, have that, that realization, cool. yeah. I said, see, a thought can change your DNA. Mm-hmm. I just proved it to you. And I tell people, just pay it forward. Tell as many people as you can that there is an answer out there and try it. Because, what, you know, what we're talking about is not going to hurt anybody. In fact, it's going to help. Yeah. What, what brings people, how do people end up in your office? What uh, happens, what happens that's, to that, them? That, that, that's kind of an interesting topic right now. Uh, basically, you've got to have a neurosurgical problem. Uh, so I, I, I don't, I don't uh, take anyone in, you know, just to do a leptin reset alone. Um, yeah. I've actually, I do have a, another practice outside my neurosurgery practice that's quite small that I have taken personal cases on, uh, you know, if people have significant problems who mm-hmm. really want it done, but I'm, I'm not going to pull any punches here. It's a very labor intensive business. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of time and those people are paying cash money. There's no insurance for that. Um, and it's, it's a, a long process, but I've limited how many people I would do it for. Yeah. Uh, just because I, sh- I physically don't have the time. But uh, I think through the process of what's kind of happened on the web and, and what a lot of the people on, um, on the, the, the comment section on mm-hmm. Mark's Daily Apple have asked for, they want me to come up with a web platform where I could help you know, people in the Southern Hemisphere, where I could help people in Zambia or in Germany. And right now we're working on actually doing something like that. We haven't you know, got all the kinks out, uh, but it, it's under construction and it's probably something that will will launch sometime in 2012 okay now more a little bit to the different point what i maybe the way i'd like to ask this is um as from an as a neurosurgeon what happens to people that they end up needing that service from you is this a dietary thing are these people just being getting injured are these car accidents or is most 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 of these most of the problems that i see are degenerative in nature and what people are actual diseases left and resistant Mm -hmm. you're much more prone to degenerative conditions both in your spine your lower back um your neck uh and also conditions in the brain uh so most of these people come in and they're expecting hey look doc i got arm pain and my primary care doc did an mri and found a big disc in my neck and I say, yeah, you're right, but did they also tell you that you've got, you know, fat replacement in your bone marrow? Did they tell you that you've got modic changes? Did they tell you this? Did they tell you that? There's fat replacement in bone marrow? Oh, yeah. That, that's one of the signs. I can pick up metabolic bone disease usually just by looking at someone's MRI. And uh, There's fat in the you, bone? I can, almost guess, <laughs> I can almost guess what your hormone levels are going to be by looking at that because I do this all the time now. Yeah. You know, five, six, seven years ago, I could never do that. But, you know, now every patient that comes in, um, I look, look at this disease. I look at the diseases that I treat as a neurosurgeon through a completely different set of glasses now because of what I learned in my own case and, and the patients, you know, that I've treated since then. And um, this is where I started finding, you know, the vitamin D levels that everybody's talking about now. I, start, I started finding these things out six, seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't figure out why I was seeing, I, I only saw, so far, I think in the last six years, we look back at I only found one person with a normal vitamin D that keeps coming to my office. <laughs> wow. So low vitamin Ds, I can tell you, are yeah. definitely correlated yeah. with degenerative disc disease. And isn't, you got a disc problem, you got a, a bad vitamin huh. D issue. And isn't D actually a hormone? Yeah, it's the actually last hormone in the chain yeah. uh, that's made from pregnenolone. And, you know, we make all those things from LDL cholesterol, uh-huh. another reason why cholesterol is very important. 
So to uh, avoid so to avoid these obvious names like osteoporosis or something like this, we're not. It's not eating American cheese and drinking milk, is it? No. In fact, uh, I've written extensively about osteoporosis. It's probably the one disease that I've hit pretty hard in my blog that's tied to neurosurgery. Um, I started seeing osteoporosis at unbelievable levels once I finished my residency and came out. And when I was in my residency, I very rarely saw osteoporosis. Uh, but when I came into private practice, I was overwhelmed with how much of it I saw. And, you know, when I saw that, I had to put two and two together. And I realized the cause of osteoporosis is leptin resistance. Uh, that's the real underlying cause. And it causes many, many hormonal, you know, imbalances in the body. But I, I have found osteoporosis in as young as 17-year-old patient. Wow. That, that should tell you just how incredibly rampant it is when you know, you're eating the wrong things because ultimately yeah. what causes our hormonal disruption is eating things that cause inflammation in our body. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of osteoporosis as described as a lifestyle disease before, but but it is. But and <laughs> I can tell you I can tell you without any reservation that's exactly what it is. Hmm. But when I when I was in training, we were taught that osteoporosis was a disease that we'd see in postmenopausal women mm-hmm. and occasionally in people who smoked. Or, or in men who had uh, obstructive lung disease. That's what I was told, I guess, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. I can tell you right now that all is still true, but the number one cause in the United States, without a doubt, is leptin resistance. Okay. And, and there's, a, there's an old law out there in the orthopedic literature called Wolf's Law. Wolf's Law says that basically bone is laid down in stress. Well, when we learned about that in med school and residency, that basically means if you're really, really fat, you should have really, really strong bones. Mm-hmm. Because, because of the stress of carrying the weight. Stress, right. Yeah. Sure. Right? Well, what I found 10 years ago when I came out in private practice is the exact opposite. The fatter you were, the worse your bones were. It was completely opposite what one would expect. And I will tell you that incongruity was probably one of the key things in neurosurgery that got me thinking about many different things, you know, that I came up with in my quilt document and also that helped me form a lot of the theories that I had about leptin basically underpinning most of the degenerative conditions that are out there. And you know, over time, if you read the literature, when leptin was first described in 1994 to now, it's relatively new. A lot of doctors don't even really know what it does. They know that it has something to do with appetite, but they don't understand that it basically controls all energy metabolism in the body. Um, but when people look into this deeper, and I promise you, in the next 20 to 50 years, medicine is going to really look at leptin big time. Um, once you fix the leptin problem, magically all the Neolithic diseases that we see in aging get better. Hmm. And people need to start paying attention to that. And the reason I use this in neurosurgery is many people come to see me and I tell them, look, you know, the arthritis you have or the MS you have or this you have, that's also going to get better when you change this. Mm -hmm. And they look at me like, you know, I'm nuts. And then, you know, they get on the internet and they start seeing other people who've already done this. I love the no, fact that we're say, well, maybe he isn't yeah. that crazy. I love the fact that we're you're talking about we're using ancient cultural diets to cure diseases and fix hormones that we just discovered 17 years ago. Well, right, it's wild. If you think about the the giant circle where this all makes sense, is think about what we talked about before. Where do you think the ancient people came up with this? 
because they did anecdotes, just like we're talking about today. That's all they had, right? That's right. That's all Tradition. They had. So, and, yeah. All right. And they put these things together. They, they realized, hey, you know, I can eat this if I do this to this food. And that was passed down from generation to generation to generation. Don't think that they didn't figure out, well, I can't eat this because it's not good for me. The, the key thing that I think we forget um, today is that when we evolved, we evolved around the equator. We now span every part of this globe. Well, if you think the same diet that we evolved on on the equator is the same diet that we should eat in the Arctic Circle and Antarctica, you're out your mind. Mm -hmm. That's not the way it is. But think about it. When someone writes a diet book, you know, uh, like the Perfect Health Diet, I think it's a great book and it's a great diet. But that's Paul Jimenez. That yeah. book should be, you know, used all over the world. You know, for everybody with mm -hmm. different epigenetic switches, that just makes no sense to me. Yeah. Okay. I, I kind of so kind of lend some credence credence to the Weston A. Price's work, where yes, every one of these ancient cultures thrived with a unique diet, but it probably had more to do with where they were on the planet. Like the fact that Inuits were eating I think pure it's a combination fat. Combination of both. Yeah. To be honest with you, I really do think you know. There's this big argument right now in the paleosphere, you know, about the Kidavins and why they were able to eat so many carbohydrates and not get fat. Well, everybody keeps forgetting that not everybody has the Kidavins uh, epigenetics. You know, mm -hmm. a guy in New York City is not going to have, you know, with European descent, is not going to have the same epigenetics. So why would you think you can eat 70% carbohydrates? Right. But yet, there's people out there that actually think just because these people did it, everybody else should do it. Mm -hmm. And that's that's part of the where the whole thing falls apart for me. Yeah. And I, if you if you've really followed my blog and you understand some of the concepts I've laid out there, I never talk about macronutrients. Okay. Never. And why? Because they're not important. What is important, however, is the response, the, the hormone response of the brain to the food that you're eating. Because that tells us, that's the Rosetta Stone, mm -hmm. of exactly how we partition calories. And, and to, to find out how that works, you just have to serially test your blood over and mm -hmm. over and over again. Okay. You know, and there's people, there's people on Mark Daly Apple site who did not listen to me for six or seven months, and they kept hitting the wall, and they kept saying, oh, I have adrenal fatigue, and I have this and that. I said, well, you just get tested. Yeah, I've heard and adrenal fatigue over and over again. Yeah. Guess what happened? They, hmm. they found out that their real problem was related to their hormones. And when they fixed that, guess what happened? Their plateaus went away. Hmm. Okay. So you, it's really hard to get people to understand this, but the people who do, it doesn't take a lot of testing to figure this, this kind of stuff out. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it does take a doctor to understand it. Yeah, yeah, so, so you are gonna have to find some better help. Right, and, that, and, that's, and, that, and that's one of the big problems that people are finding in the paleosphere. Like, many people have tried to get help, and they'll get help for part of their problem, but not all of it. And that's, that's part of, you know, what my modus operandi is now. I want, to create a different healthcare system, and you know, there's a big there's a big pull in the paleo community. In fact, probably at the ancestral health symposium this year, me and a couple of uh, the the founding fathers will be giving a talk about what we think we need to do um, to take care of you know the paleo primal community in, hmm. in terms of healthcare going forward. Because yeah. obviously, conventional medicine right now, we take care of sick people. That's how the system's built. Paleo and primal uh, healthcare really is about taking care of people who are well, who want to get to optimal. 
It's a totally different mindset. And mm-hmm. many of the things, even the ways we look at certain laboratory values is completely different. The, like the way I look at a, a VAP uh, in a conventional medical setting versus, say, say, somebody on the Internet who's got a leaky gut, tremendously different. Mm-hmm. Most physicians don't understand, you know, how I use an HDL level, uh, how I use it as a proxy for how much inflammation is actually coming through the gut into the portal circulation into the liver. But that stuff right then and there tells me, okay, we got a huge problem. This has to be fixed because basically that's like a conduit for throwing gasoline on this fire that's burning in their body. Great stuff. Can we move on just real quick to something of interest besides paleoprimal stuff? Do you ever have much experience with like cognitive enhancers like nootropics? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I know quite a bit about them. Uh, I have to tell you that some of them, I, I think short-term uses uh, for changes like kids in college and things like that, yeah, they work great, but okay. it's not something I'd advocate for long-term use because uh, the best way to improve your cognitive ability is to have hormonal balance in your body. That's, that's when your brain works the best. Okay. And, and uh, But, yeah, if you, if you want to use, like... Uh, I have, a, I have a recipe and, and actually a, that I use in my practice called Optimal Coffee, um, and that would be something that you'd probably be interested in. I use coconut oil, mm-hmm. uh, coffee, cinnamon, uh, nutmeg, and turmeric hmm. uh, in the coffee, and I, that's how I drink my coffee. I only drink coffee usually at, in, at breakfast time, yeah. and uh, I don't do it every day. There's some days I do do it, some days I don't. Uh, if I'm in surgery and I know I'm not going to eat any lunch, I'll, I'll usually have an optimal coffee. And That's uh, it has tremendous effects. In fact, my son, who's 18 years old, is in college. He just used it to take his finals in the last couple of weeks. And wow. it's like, it's amazing, yeah. you know, the effect that it had. Not only that, he found that his retention and his learning, you know, when he'd study and, and wake up was like 20% better. He felt more efficient. But there's a lot of different things out there that... that yeah, I'm going to definitely have to look into the Optimal Coffee. Now, I've got a, a, a friend that I follow, uh, Dave Asprey. He's the Bulletproof exec. Yeah. He wrote, got, yeah I've read about his Bulletproof, Bulletproof Coffee. Bulletproof Coffee. That's yeah, MCT. One of, one of the, my blog yeah. commenters actually told me about mm-hmm. his Bulletproof Coffee. I didn't know about it until about two weeks ago. And uh, I, I saw that he used butter in his. And yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. And I think... It'd be good. The only thing I'd have an issue with that is with the casein protein. Uh, I think it would be better with ghee, to be yeah. quite honest with you. Okay, I can understand. I can see you there. Yeah, he definitely grass-fed butter and uh, and the combination of MCT oil is actually. Yeah, well, I use MCT oil uh, a lot. Uh, yeah. I'm a huge fan of that because of the effects that it has on brain cells. It actually makes brain cells work work much more efficiently. Yeah, I, I call it like uh, putting STP in the gas tank for your brain. Mm-hmm. It cleans everything out. So I'm going to save my pennies and just invest in a 50-gallon drum of coconut oil and however much MCT oil I can afford. Because I hit that the butter. I put I hit the butter pretty hard. I mean, uh, yeah. I'm a, I'm I'm a, a bit... big fan of butter, too. But I have to tell you, uh, for people who are making the transition, you know, to go from just say good to great, mm-hmm. I think ghee is a better choice. Okay. And ghee, or just for people to know, that's also clarified butter. Yeah, clarified yeah. butter. Basically, all it is, it, it takes all the bad proteins that are in dairy and removes them so that you're basically just dealing with all the fat. Okay, yeah, the casein is a protein. Right. And that's it's the people have way. allergies to, 
And right. um, there's two types yeah, you, there's of casein, main, and it's all very confusing. Yeah, the two the two main proteins in, in dairy products are whey and uh, casein. And whey protein has a lot of good of effects. It can it can have some bad effects in diabetics, but um, the casein protein, as far as I'm concerned, it's not really good for anybody. Okay. It's kind of like, um, I guess I, I would consider it like the gluten correlate to grain. <laughs> okay, uh, all right. And I think those two things probably need to be eliminated in most people's diet. And I think almost every paleo diet out there does that. Uh, same thing with low-carb, high-fat. I don't think m many people eat those things routinely. Right, okay. So we'll be able to address our these uh, common names like serotonin and melatonin levels with our natural foods and a little help of uh, diagnosing our hormonal situation. You know, are we going to get better sleep? Are we going to feel better? Yes, absolutely. That's, that's going to happen? Yeah, that, that all happens because of the, the conversion in the brain. Um, there's a lot of effects there. I mean, uh, I could talk to you probably for hours about sleep. Sleep is absolutely <laughs> vital mm -hmm. uh, to this whole issue. And as I talked to you before about the whole leptin reset, it's based on circadian rhythms. Well, you can't talk about circadian rhythms without talking about sleep. And I will tell you the reason why most people who have sleep apnea are obese is because they can't sleep. Hmm. And and that's where that tie comes well, in. I was going to say that sounds like a vicious circle cycle. Well, then. it is. Can't it sleep, is. That's, but that's, that's part the of the cause. Reason why you have to stop it. Wow. Yeah. It's a huge. It's a huge factor. And most of the patients that see me in the clinic, I, I, the, one of the first questions I ask them is, "Tell me about their sleep." And you know, most people are coming to see me either for, you know, a brain problem or a neck or low back problem. They're kind of like, "Why do you want to know my my sleep?" And I said, "Well, right. if your sleep's bad, you're never going to get better." And they're kind of shocked when I tell them that. And I also told them that it, it gives me some insight, you know, to the underlying inflammation in the body. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you some insight to how a clinician thinks. When someone doesn't sleep well, the first thing that I realize is that they have high levels of a cytokine in their brain called IL-6. And you get IL-6 from a variety of different biochemical reactions. But the number one place we see it is in those people with leptin resistance. Now... The next thing that generally happens, how do I check for an IL-6 level in people? There is a test out there for it, but it's extremely expensive. It's about 500 bucks in a hospital. So no, I don't go check an IL-6 on everybody. <laughs> uh -huh. Have I done it on myself? Yes. But there is a very cheap test that you can get. It's called a DHEA level, which is a hormone that's the precursor for our sex steroid hormones. And there's a 98% correlation of those who have bad sleep with low DHEA levels. Hmm. Now, you can get that from a, either a simple blood test that costs less than 40 bucks, or you can get it from a salivary uh, assay uh, from a place called ZRT Labs, and you'll find out what your, your DHEA level is. <clears throat> Once you diagnose that, then you can actually tell somebody, look, you can supplement DHEA or you can eat with things that will help you uh, replenish your DHEA to bring the levels up, and then you can serially test it over time to see if what you're doing from a macronutrient standpoint is actually helping. Mm -hmm. The other thing that you do, simple, are you sleeping better? And what pa patients will find is as their DHEA level becomes optimal in that top 25%, their sleep becomes rock star status. Hmm. And then magically, their plateaus start to go away. Magically, all the other things they were concerned about get better. Not only that, their thyroid function. 
you know, if they were hypothyroid, which most people are who have excess weight, that also improves. Some people, you know, like women with leaky guts, like some of the things you were talking about fixing with fermented carbohydrates, mm-hmm. sometimes they need a little T3 or T4 thrown in the mix to get their pituitary gland fired up or get their thyroid fired up to get them going. But generally, as things move on, everything improves. And, and mm-hmm. clinically, these are all the, 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 the things that I use in the office to find out if the uh, how sleep is tied to our hormone status. Right. It's, right. it's pretty simple. It's not, so, it's not well, brain surgery. Yeah, it all kind of goes back. <laughs> no, right. So it all kind of goes back to like the Rob Wolf statement that we'll do 30 days, 60 days, whatever your number is. And how do you feel? How's it, you know, how do you perform? How do you sleep? These are the markers that a person can judge themselves, you know, how they're doing. And then when you find a sleep problem or you plateau on weight, then it's time to maybe dig into those, yes. the tests. And, right. And, I, okay. I, and the other caveat yeah. that I would make to people who are going to be listening to this, think about it this, the, the more inflammation you have, the longer it's going to take. Like mm-hmm. Rob is not going to tell somebody with MS who's morbidly obese in 30 days, you're going to be better because right. they're not. Right. Okay. That's a person that's going to take a lot longer time, but we need to do a better job in our community to let people know that it's still going to make you better, but the time to get better is going to take longer. Okay. There's many people out there who are very, very thin. You just don't have good body comp. Same issue. They have, if you have high levels of inflammation in your body, that's the key. And what you have to do is you have to give people small little clinical wins. And when that happens over time, that's when they start seeing those wins. Uh, and you'll see them in their lab results, and, and people will see them in their results. So, you know, their waistlines will go down, mm-hmm. their muscles will get bigger, you know, their friends and family will start saying, you know, dude, you look different. Yeah, this you is happening around here. Anymore. Your yeah. face looks different. You yeah. know, my wife hears all the time from the girls that do her pedicures, God, your feet are so soft. How does uh-huh. this happen? Skin. Yeah. Every, yep. Everything. Yep. I'm hearing that in my own. There's nothing that is immune to this. That's that's just amazing. Now I got to cover this before you disappear on me. This uh, this article, the teeth in disease. Yeah, it is fantastic. Um, I have this whole theory about teeth and tooth health, and that from ancient days ago. My dad was always having root canal problems, and they were always coincided with his uh, antibiotic use. And but anyways, so I've always been kind of interested in the in the mouth. From, from my childhood. And then after discovering Weston A. Price's work, I was like, wow, this is some remarkable stuff. I can't believe this isn't common knowledge. And then, but this article here, you bring in two different ideas and kind of fuse them together, some knowledge here that is, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I, well, that's, I, I guess that's probably based on my educational training that, you know, we talked about in the beginning. Many people, you know, hear that I'm a neurosurgeon first and forget that, I also was a dentist and an oral surgeon. Yeah, you know, before I became. Uh, well, that, that's pretty rare. So normally, if someone's a neurosurgeon, it, it, you don't remember to bother to get, ask them if they were a dentist first. <laughs> right, and you know, I I will tell you that I I uh, I always think of myself honestly as a dentist first and a neurosurgeon second. Because, you know, that's kind of, I did that before I was a neurosurgeon, and I really enjoyed it, and I learned a lot of the foundational work, you know, that I'm now using from dentistry. But here's the interesting thing that you may find interesting, and maybe some of your listeners will. 
Um, I have a friend who I went to dental school with who is now becoming what I would call the online paleo dentist. And we've talked offline many times how we cannot believe that we never learned about Western A price mm-hmm. when we were in dental school. We've that's gone a, back to find shame. out subsequently yeah. why. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, again, it ties back to mm-hmm. money and, yeah, sure. and issues related to the ADA and Western A price back in the 30s and 40s where they didn't like what he had to say because okay. it went against what organized dentistry believed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not kidding you. I did not know about Western A price until probably, I guess it was maybe two or three years ago. Wow. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and the, the crazy thing was I was already as a neurosurgeon using like vitamin K2 that he called factor X in his you know book. Yeah. I, I didn't put that together until like two or three years ago. And I, I thought to myself, because I use vitamin K2 to treat osteoporosis. I've been doing that for almost, probably 10 years. Mm-hmm. And when I started putting this all together, I started calling some of my old dental school classmates and talking to them on Facebook. And I said, you guys need to read this guy's work. Mm-hmm. And I, I have this personal crusade right now to get rid of fluoride um, in our water supply. And I tell uh, anybody who, who follows you know, our principles of lifestyle, you need to avoid fluoride as much as you can. Build fil- filtering systems, you know, in your uh, in your house to get rid of it. It's that important. Well, I really wanted to motivate one of my dental student buddies to get into this, and turns out that he has got a real good friend who runs the paleodontology uh, section at the University of Arkansas. His name is Peter Unger, and him and John have just petitioned, I believe, the NIH to get a grant to start to study these things, which is huge. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, we can make some huge changes in dentistry because my belief is there is more things that we can find in the oral cavity that truly tell us about what macronutrient, and uh, we may have to stop here. Yep, that's fine. I'll give you a All pause. Right, hold tight. Yep. All right. All right, Jack, you're back? Yeah. All right, cool. Sorry, uh, doctor. <laughs> hey, um, let's get back to the paleo dentist. What, what was his name? Yeah, he, he's one of my classmates from dental school. His name is John Sorrentino, and he's a dentist in Poughkeepsie, New York. And his good friend uh, that he was college classmates with is Peter Unger, who's at the University of Arkansas. And they're, they're tag-teaming. Um, in fact, Rob Wolf just mentioned uh, Dr. Unger's work on Twitter the other day. And hmm. uh, I had told John that it looks like Rob is actually paying attention to the things that are going on in dentistry because I believe that we can find out so many things from an oral cavity examination about our physiology, about our hormone status, if we just do it. And the problem is most physicians don't know anything about the oral cavity, but most dentists do. Yeah. And the problem is most dentists are not really plugged in to this lifestyle yet. Right, right. But we're looking to change that. And John uh, Sorrentino is one of those guys that I think is going to lead that charge because he's already started doing it in his own community and got a bunch of the dentists together, you know, hmm. uh, have meetings to start talk about these things. And, you know, he's even starting to petition our old dental school and also, you know, the NIH about yeah. 
starting to look at these things, and I think that's a great thing. That's awesome. Do you have a blog or a pod, you know, or anything like that you can find? Do you know? uh, yeah, well, he does have a blog. I don't know what the address is, but I think okay. if you... Uh, By the time this show goes up, I'll, I'll have found it, and I'll have it added to the yeah. show notes. And, and he, just did a, he just did a podcast with Jimmy Moore in the last two weeks. Oh, great. That's uh, so gonna, you, can mm-hmm. find, you can find that link on there, and uh, I believe he even talks about Dr. Unger on there. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, Jimmy Moore, of course. Cool. We'll check that out for sure. Yeah, I was interested. I want to ask you one more question. It's kind of a strange thing for me. It's also um, root canals. Yeah. Do you have something to say about it, about those? Yeah, don't get one. <laughs> Thank you. Damn, I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> well, I mean, here I got to tell you a funny story. I, I hope please, you, please. I think you'll really appreciate this. Uh, I just yeah. had... I was on call last week, and one of our good friends had some people in because the Saints were playing the Titans here in an NFL game, and all these people from New Orleans came up, and I just started talking to this guy, and he told me he just had a recent root canal about a month ago, and ever since he's had the root canal, he's got these horrible ulcers in his mouth. Mm-hmm. He's been to like 19 dentists down in New Orleans. No mm-hmm. one knows what's going on. Yeah. And we were sitting there drinking a glass of – or he was drinking a glass of wine – and I was drinking water, and I just looked at him. I said, "Dude, you know what your problem is? You're having an allergic reaction to the gutta percha that was put in your root canal, and you need to get it out as soon as possible." Yeah, yeah. And and then he said, and then he said to me, he goes, well, "How do you know that?" And I said, "Well, I'm going to shock you even more." I said, "You want to?" Because he couldn't drink the red wine that I gave him because it hurt his hurt mouth because of the tannins yeah. in the wine. Right. So he was drinking white wine. I said, "How about if I prove to you right now that I'm right?" And he goes, "Okay." So I went over and opened up Nutiva coconut oil and gave him two huge tablespoons and told him to put it in his mouth, wait until it melts, and swish it around. Mm-hmm. I took a 10,000 IU capsule of vitamin D, put a pinhole in it, squirted it under his tongue, and told him to swish it around as well. Then I said, take uh, some of this red wine. And I specifically gave him a mall back from Argentina because it's a very tannic wine. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, tell me, did it bother your tooth? He goes, no. I said, do you know why? He said, no. I said, well, we just affected your immune system in your mouth, and we also gave you a, basically an antibacterial, an antiviral, and antifungus mouthwash. Mm-hmm. That's natural. Yeah. I said, you need to remove, as soon as you go home, you tell them to take it out. They just take the whole, can they just extract the tooth at that point? Well, or? that's what he wants to do. I don't think he wants to go. There's another option. You can go for another filling material that he's probably not allergic to. Okay. But I don't think he's going to do this because this guy told, if you heard his whole story, it was unbelievable what's happened to him. He almost had what I would call an autoimmune severe reaction in his mouth. We we know in medicine, we we know it on the skin. It's called Steven Johnson syndrome. Um, He basically got the same kind of reaction in his mouth where he had ulcers that were bleeding up under his lip, in his mm-hmm. mouth, on, on the tongue side, on the on the on the cheek side, he couldn't eat anything, mm-hmm. and it was and it coincided right after he had the root canal done. And that's you know that's in a very extreme example. Yeah. But most people who have root canals will tell you they just don't feel right, you know, down the road. But people, especially dentists, very rarely tie the root canal to you know, the underlying medical problems down the road. Why? Because dentists aren't taught any of this. I can tell you, being a dentist myself, Mm -hmm. I never once heard any of this. And and I found this out subsequently by paying attention and doing some of my own reading. There's a lot of people out there that have these symptoms. And just like, you know, any other drug that we use in medicine, 
if someone's allergic to something, it can cause an autoimmune reaction. It can cause an allergic reaction mm-hmm. right then and there in the mouth. And, and when you do a root canal, the, the end of the tooth where the root, where the, I should say the, the nerve goes into the jawbone is like a sieve. Mm-hmm. And that's leaking directly into the systemic circulation, uh, causing yeah. a huge yeah. inflammatory response. Mm-hmm. And you can actually check it by doing a, what they call a highly sensitive CRP right after somebody has a root canal, and you're going to see it through the roof. And it'll stay sustained for a period of time. Mm-hmm. So that's so funny. Uh, and, and then so back to the, the article, it actually talks about how the, the, dent, the oral cavity may be where – Obesity starts, yeah, right? That's true. Well, it's, oh, it's, it's fantastic. It's, I don't want to go too, too far down that road. People need to read that article. Yeah, it's called The Teeth and Disease. It's at jackcruise.com forward slash The Teeth and Disease. Um, you just go to the blog and the website and you'll find it. But um, I just really wanted to cover that one because it's a, it's a real pet project of mine is teeth and I'm no dentist. Yeah, most, so. most people are pretty surprised to find out that actually leptin actually acts in the mouth. They, mm-hmm. I've told some of my neurosurgery buddies that there's actually a hypothalamic parotid axis. The parotid gland is the gland that makes saliva in our mouth. Yeah. And people didn't believe me. And I said, look, I remember when I was in dental school in 1986, I learned about an endocrinologist from Loma Linda named John Lenora. He's the one that described this. And people thought I was full of it. And they went back <laughs> and looked at it. And sure enough, it's there. It's true. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of cool. Yeah, right, right. I, I just love it. So if you follow some of these ancient natural food ways, these paths, you're going to avoid this oral cavity problem by, you know, putting the wrong thing in your mouth to activate this mechanism of disease that's going to happen, right? This, all this problem. So uh, this is, it's amazing. This is, we've, we've covered, we don't want to solve every problem in the world in one night, but we're damn close here. Wow. I'd say well, we're... there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of stuff on the blog and, and how I plan on, you know, releasing stuff at, over time. Uh, I would tell people just go, go to my blog site and start reading the quilt document. The quilt document covers 30 different levies. And levies are things that protect, you know, the community. Since I did my training in New Orleans, that's why I use the word levies. Because uh, it protects the city. Okay. If you if you protect your your cell and your body using these thirty different levy systems, you will never get you'll never get any neolithic diseases. And I've ordered the um, the protection system, the levy system, mm-hmm. from one through thirty. Leptin stands at number two. So obviously, I've spent a lot of time talking about leptin since it's the kingpin at the top. Okay. But if you go through each one of them. I'm going to talk about each one of those levies in detail over the next several years uh, and tell people exactly how they can optimize that levy to help them avoid disease. Yeah, this is an, an entire college career that you'd have. I mean, you'd have an entire education if you made it through this, the quilt. Well, that's, that's exactly what deep. I did yeah. you know, in, in college, medical school, dental school. I mean, I'm ga- basically giving you 30 years of experience and trying to lay it out in a blog post so that people can understand it. Well, I love it. And uh, that's why I had you on the show because, I mean, you're a, a master experimenter. You're definitely a guru. And I think you're starting to become a geek. Because the, <laughs> the, yeah, I, think, <laughs> I hate to say it, but I think you're right about that. <laughs> yeah, because those, those are the three criteria to get on the show. So you just snuck in on the geek factor. So 
That's funny. Thank you so much, Dr. Jack, for uh, Dr. Jack Cruz, for joining me. Um, you have um, a few so something to plug. Where else to go besides no, the blog? I don't have anything to plug. I, I, right now, all I'm doing is you know putting the blog out. You know, if anybody has any questions, just ask a question on the comment section. All right. You know, leave your email, and I promise you, if you've looked at the blog, I I generally answer every single one of them in between my cases Mm -hmm. or, you know, when I'm not busy. uh, But I usually get to all of them. You can usually find me either on Facebook. uh, You can find me on Mark Daly Apple site, on Rob Wolf site, Jimmy Moore's site. I'm I'm pretty much everywhere. I I try to make myself as accessible as I can. You know, to uh, people, because my goal is to really help people help themselves. I think you are, and um, I, I can't wait to see you start popping up everywhere on all the shows. And it, it, I look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you for this; it's been great. All right, no problem, Brian, and uh, it was great spending some time with you tonight.